Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. This is number five in Know Your Enemy. And I will say I've really enjoyed walking through this series. Um, I, I thought that I was going to get into a particular message where I walked through the dynamics of deliverance. <clears throat> we may still do that next week, but I actually think it would be better to do it at Equip, which is the first Wednesday of every month. We have a service called Equip where we have worship and just ministry training. We do record those, and we put those up on a... Um, unlisted YouTube playlist for our church members that didn't go to that. We stream it live in our Facebook group. So if you're part of the Facebook group, you can watch it live if you're not in attendance here. But uh, on the back end, we're making it available to church members that, that want to watch that. We're not make, you know spreading it as broad as the sermons just on YouTube and all the other places, but it's you know a little bit more private, a little bit more controlled viewing. So um, <clears throat> we will talk about deliverance, what that looks like, how to administer to that, that to people. It's pretty easy. I don't know. Can we practice on you, Mike? Yeah. Okay. Please. And I started getting texts. So you remember uh, when we first started, so if you're, if you're new, your first time, you're jumping in the middle of this, the tail end of this, we're talking about the idea, know your enemy. Know how to resist the enemy because he will flee from you when you resist properly. And that's not proper behavior, but just knowing who you are. And we'll, we'll break that down. We started out talking about fallen angels and Nephilim, which the fallen angels, you know, connected with women and their offspring were giants. And we see giants with David. We see giants all over in Canaan land. You see in all in ancient Israel in them taking the land. There's giants everywhere. I found a, a good um, YouTube channel that um, talks about a lot of the history, a lot of the actual accurate historical record of the Sumerians and the Babylonians. Um, it does address the biblical historical record, but it's not necessarily from a, a Christian worldview, how many of you are interested in that, whatever that, that YouTube would be? So it's, I actually was watching one early this morning. The name of the YouTube channel is called Boaz Mysteries. Um, <clears throat> again, I don't really, I've watched just a few of their videos, so if there's weird stuff on there, don't message me. I mean, it, it's YouTube, you guys are adults, you know. But the, the videos that I have watched are very interesting because you know, a lot of times you read the biblical record of those times and you don't, you know, you get just the biblical perspective, which I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there are other historical records out there in Sumer and Mesopotamia, and you can go read those records, and it talks all about the Anunnaki and what they were doing. Now, just know this, it's from a Luciferian perspective, Luciferian meaning uh, the fallen angel Lucifer, and then those original watchers that we talked about from the book of Enoch, not trying to say that Enoch is, should be in the Bible. It's just another historical record. The Bible references it itself. <clears throat> but it's interesting to look at the, the historical record from that perspective because it spins it as if the Anunnaki, which is what they called the early fallen angels, were the good guys and the creator God was the bad guy. That's the Luciferian mindset. Did God really say, can you really trust God? After all, these fallen angels came. They were just trying to bring enlightenment to mankind. They were just trying to bring knowledge to mankind. They were just trying to help mankind progress. And then you get into the idea of these fallen angels, which in modern times, a lot of people are looking at them and, just, and calling them aliens. You ever watch Ancient Aliens? I think it's a fascinating show, but it's Luciferian in that it presents the biblical creator God as the bad guy, 
and these beings that came to earth to advance mankind as the good guys. Are you with me? And Tori was texting me. I'd mentioned that book, that movie, Eternals. I don't know if you guys are Marvel fans. We're not trying to ruin Marvel for you. I'm not saying that you're a devil worshiper if you watch Marvel movies. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I think we can not be so fearful that we can't enjoy story and movies, but you, but you just got to recognize <clears throat> this stuff is embedded in culture. It, it's everywhere. And Tori's texting me. He's like, oh, my gosh, I never, I didn't, this is amazing. You can't, uh, the, one of the statements that he said was, you can't unsee this. <laughs> and I think you went with Jesse, and Jesse mentioned to me this morning, um, you know, how clear it is, how clear that picture is. <clears throat> but I think the bottom line and I don't know if the Marvel authors and writers are trying to undermine Jehovah and present an anti-God perspective because the story itself is just in antiquity. It's in our mythology. You see it in Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, Sumerian mythology. I think even in farther eastern, which I'm less familiar with, countries in those regions have the same stories of ascended beings and masters teaching mankind knowledge and information and almost this idea that the creator God is manipulative and controlling and vengeful and you can't really trust him. And, and I'm telling you, you know, and I made the statement, I'm surprised I didn't get any emails. Maybe they didn't get that far into the videos. But where do we hear that message mostly, I think, is not from Satanists making movies. It's in the church. God is angry. He's just waiting to judge you. He's got a confusing plan that you're not sure that you can trust or not. Right? Go back and listen to that one. There was a message on um, doctrines of demons and, and Luciferian mindsets. And, you know, we talked about the idea of did God really say? <clears throat> Last week we talked about generational curses and familiar spirits. The bottom line of that was the only place you see generational curses in Scripture is when God gave the law to the Israelites. If they didn't keep the law, then, then he would... It's interesting because the language actually says, and I didn't say this last week, but the language actually says he will not uh, protect you from iniquity from the third and to the third and fourth generation. It, the language seems to indicate that God himself will put on you the iniquity, but what he's saying is he's actually lifting a hand of protection unto the third and fourth generation. However, if you keep the law and the commandments under the old covenant, then there would be blessing upon a thousand generations. Which one is he more interested in? The blessing, right? So we ended up and we looked at... Um, Galatians 3 last week, and what we, what we ended with was the idea of knowing. Oh, here it is. <clears throat> Under the old covenant, you were cursed or punished for breaking the law, or you were blessed for keeping God's commandments. And this is out of Galatians 3, Exodus 20. Then we ended with this idea. Under the new covenant, Christ bore all of your punishment for breaking God's law, which was part of the curse. So a generational curse was associated with breaking the law. Jesus was punished for you and fulfilled the law for you, so you are qualified for all of the blessings and promises and none of the curses. So, generational curses, because, you know, you look at those of us that believe in the, the activity of the Holy Spirit today, believe that we should be operating in the gifts, one of them being discerning of spirits, believing that Jesus did give us the power to go lay hands on the sick and see people uh, recover and cast out demons. So casting out demons is a facet of our Christianity today. You know, my crazy, weird experience where I was completely demonized, had I known or had somebody that was with me known how to cast demons out, it might have been a very different thing. However, we don't need to walk around afraid of devils all the time. First and foremost, because Jesus has stripped all authority and power, uh, all authorities of their power. Jesus has all authority and power now. So if you are in him, you are above any influence or power of any other type of spirit or entity. Amen? Jesus is the preeminent one. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. There is none greater. Every knee 
human or spirit or hybrid or angelic or whatever. You know, we tend to think humans, but every knee, every being is subjected to his authority. And in his becoming human, transitioning back to heaven, and then offering the free gift of righteousness and the unity in him to humanity, are you with me? That was a lot of T's. <laughs> you share the same authority. I remember when I was going through my possession experience and trying to you know, get my mind back right, I would have these times where I would have these manifestations. I would feel physical. Like I remember a few times I would wake up and be sleeping on my stomach and would feel like something was pushing my head down into the pillow. And, and I would hear this like Slayer type music in the background. And, and I would feel like somewhat, something was pulling on my ankles. And I would, Jesus, you know, I, would, I couldn't speak. Anybody ever experienced something like that? And then I would get the word Jesus, just the name Jesus out of my mouth, and it would instantly stop. You know, and so I recognized before I knew anything that there's power in the name of Jesus and not the letters J-E-S-U-S. -S. It's not a magic word. It's what that word represents. In other words, if you express the authority of Christ, the name of Christ, everything that's behind who Christ is, his authority is established. You can do that in your life and in the life of others. You can establish the authority of Christ, and any other entity must submit. You know, that's why the enemy can't just come in and completely take over and destroy the world, because he reigns in and through us in this earth. Now, one day, he'll come back and physically, bodily reign on this earth. Wow, that's going to be awesome. But until then, he's reigning through us. So the enemy still is active. He's running around. They're trying to mess with our lives. They work more like hypnotists than anything. And this is, again, all of this is a little bit slightly reviewed, but I'm bringing us all up to speed because this week I really just kind of have a simple idea that I want to talk about. Uh, how do you stand? How do you live in the power? So when we're talking about spiritual warfare and we're still talking about ourselves not being subjected to the deceit and the lies of the enemy. Uh, how do we stand in Christ? How do we resist? Because how do you resist? When, you know, James says this, James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Pretty simple. Submit to God. Oh, wait. Submit to God. This is James 4, 7. One more time. Submit to God, <laughs> resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's, pretty, it's a two-step process. Submit to God and resist. And we, again, we talked about resisting. Resisting is not when you try to lasso a demon by binding it with some spiritual power, and then you make it submit and obey to Christ, obey Christ. No, you're not fighting or wrestling demons. When you are engaged in deliverance, even casting them out of your own life, you are establishing the authority of Christ in that sphere, and they must obey. So today I want to talk about, just end on this idea of submitting to God. What does that look like? Part of it is it, start, it starts in the mind. We've read this the past couple of weeks, but 2 Corinthians 10, 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Pulling down strongholds. Remember, a stronghold is not when a demon or a devil has authority or power in your life or over a city or anything like that. It's the stronghold is the belief or mindset in your own mind and in your own heart. And you want to tear down the mindset or the belief Tearing that down causes the enemy to not have anything to associate or attach itself to. And then we become like Jesus, and so we can say, the enemy comes, but he has nothing in me. So this idea of running around breaking curses. and Now, now I know people that minister, and they, and they do prophetic, prophetic acts like chopping and blowing and pushing. And, you know, I mean, I... I I have to temper myself 
in that because I have seen people minister in those ways and it be effective. But the, but the reality is this. Here's my goal for going into detail in these matters is because I don't want you afraid of the devil. I don't want you feeling incomplete, thinking that there's some process that you have to go sign up for on the course of a weekend. Let them do their thing to you and then you are delivered or then you are free because the reality is you have been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. Amen? You have been raised with Christ and seated in heavenly places. That means no dark force, evil spirit, familiar spirit has authority in your life or over you at all. Amen. You've been raised with Him. You are in a position of authority in Him, and He is the preeminent one, the King of kings. Are you with me? So if you find yourself demonized, and, and so then the question comes up, and people... People ask the wrong questions when it comes to this kind of stuff. I, I get asked this all the time. Well, can a, then can a Christian be possessed? It's the wrong question. The right question is, can a Christian believe lies? Because then you're susceptible to demonic influence. People are worried about the spatial understanding in terms of where is this demon? Is it inside of me or is it outside of me? As if it's like, because we get this idea of casting it out, right? The language seems to kind of indicate that. And it's not so much that, that you need to worry about that. I mean, who cares, right? It's a matter of, can I, am I susceptible to demonic deception? Well, of course I am. I mean, Jesus was susceptible to it. Fortunately, he knew who he was and he didn't give in. But in his humanity, he could have. And he was God in the flesh, I mean, the devil tempted him, didn't he? We're going to read that in just a second. So it's not about, is it inside of me? Is it outside of me? It's a matter of, is there something inside of me that an external lie spoken or whispered to me as if it's a hypnotic suggestion can keep me influenced? And now, I look at that type of thing as energetics, or like radio waves, because typically when we think about this kind of stuff, spiritual matters, we, we, don't, we don't know how to make it practical and, and, and live within a real situation. It's kind of just this mystical understanding, but yet then we live in this physical world. I think there is an energetic to spirit. I think there is a tangibility to spirit. I think if you were to look at the electromagnetic... Uh, spectrum, you know, there's visible light that we can see, there's uh, infrared, there's gamma, there's different kinds of light along that spectrum that the human eye can't see, but you put the right observation tool on it or even glasses, you can see different facets of this spectrum that we live within right now. You could see waves flying through this room, right? I think spirit is like that, it's just way, way, way higher way higher into the realm of where it's impossible for physical existence to, to exist in that realm. Are you with me? Now, you have to be changed to be able to function in that, that uh, is it sphere? John, help me out. That, that part of the spectrum. Are you with me? Now, I'm not trying to say that is how it is, right? I'm just saying for us to have some understanding that we are connected to spirit and spirit has an influence in our life now, it's not that you, you don't have to get in some weird mystical mindset about how do demons work. They're spiritual beings. We know they exist. Scripture acknowledges them. The way they work in your life is somehow, however spirit can influence the created realm, they're trying, but they have no authority to do so. They're deceivers and they're liars. They exist, but the way that they tend to work is more like a hypnotic suggestion. Anybody ever been hypnotized? Yeah, some people have. Anybody ever watched one of those comedian hypnotists? Listen, I'm I ask that every week. I'm surprised how few of you have watched that. Go on YouTube and look up hypnotist comedian and, and just watch. And, and maybe, you know, guard your heart. I'm not saying hypnotism 
is evil. What I'm saying is it's possible. And the way hypnotism is, is that somehow gets you in sync with whatever's being suggested to you, that you accept it willingly, and you become hypnotized. And it's your reality in that moment, and it feels real to you. Go watch that stuff. It's, it's hilarious, but also terrifying. We went to see a, hypno, a comedian hypnotist one time, and I, did, I didn't like it. I felt weird. I wanted to get out of there. But anyway, that was just me. So why do, I, why do I say that? Because I just don't want you to be afraid that your behavior is walking around opening doors and possibly opening your mind and your life to the, you know, giving the devil the right to come into your life because it has authority because you've committed this sin and so now you've given the devil a license. to. There, it's, it's all illegal. And it's all uh, from the perspective of them making suggestions and not controlling you. An evil spirit cannot gain the capacity to control you physically, only to the degree that you come into agreement with whatever that suggestion is. So if there's something within you that is in agreement with whatever is being spoken to you, and, and they're not going to speak things to you foreign to these lies that we already believe about ourselves. I'm trying to, I'm trying to demystify the process and I'm trying to disarm the enemy, even though Jesus already has, so that in your mind you unplug from these ideas of thinking, well, there's something wrong with me. Maybe it's a devil. Maybe I need to go get somebody to do something to me so I can be free from this thing. I'm telling you, the Christian world has been defiled through processes like that. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to... A, a, a weekend where they help you put on your new man and your identity and maybe they prophesy to you and they help you recognize where, you know, maybe there is this and the, and the Spirit of God speaks to this person and they help you understand some of the struggles and issues that you have. But it's not them doing something to you and then that process and now you're going to be free. You already are free. You just don't know it. Those weekend programs are designed, they, what they should do is help you connect to the reality that you already are delivered. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've just seen so much abuse. I've just seen so many people just, just not built up in their identity in Christ and they have no confidence in Christ in them because of these programs that have been built. And we've been subjected to. I, I, I'm going to move on. I could say more about it, but let's keep going. So this week, you personally, standing in your identity, standing in your authority, how do we do that? You're casting down strongholds, casting down arguments or vain imaginations about every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The thought, when you bring the thought into captivity and your thoughts are in agreement with what Christ was obedient to, which means what did he accomplish in his death, burial, and resurrection, when your thoughts are in agreement with who Jesus is and who you are in him, you stand in that place of having already been delivered. And the enemy comes and he has nothing against you. Now, there's a couple more facets that I want to go into, a little bit more insight into this process of Every high thing, that it, these imaginations and arguments and high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, even Jesus experienced that. Let's see what that looks like. Matthew 4, verse 1. <clears throat> so keep in mind, that this, this, is, this is right after Jesus was baptized, right? If you're unfamiliar with the story, Jesus was, was 30, right? And he knew that it was time to step into his ministry, let's say, he went down to the Jordan River where John the Baptist was, and John the Baptist was baptizing people. John the Baptist knew who he was ahead of time, knew that he was to prepare the way for the one coming. And Jesus ended up being that one coming, which, by the way, I, I saw, and I've seen this before. Um, I don't, you know, it, so Jesus' mother and John the Baptist's mother were cousins, right? Which meant Jesus... And John were distant cousins. And 
In the womb, John the Baptist recognized Jesus in the womb when Mary came to visit, or I can't remember the exact scenario, but the, huh? Mary comes to visit. Yeah, Mary came to visit, and John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, leapt, recognized the presence of the Christ in the womb. You see where I'm going? Those are lives in there. They are human lives from second one that deserve to be protected. It's not a political issue. It's a matter of life and death that, that we need to fight to protect. You know, all these cultural issues that we're seeing right now that attack the identity of God and the, the order of God. We have to remove that stuff out of the political language in the realm of politics because that stuff, if, 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 we, if we play in the dirt on matters like that, in other words, political language on matters like that, then, then we're, we're battling a spiritual warfare with carnal weapons. Are you with me? It must be, the conversation must be taken out of the realm. It's got to be, it's got to have a point to Mike because it's your sphere and we're all behind you, whatever that looks like. But it's got to be addressed in the political sphere too. But what I'm saying is we, we as believers have to figure out a way to speak about it, not in physical, divisive, two-party terms, but in terms of spirituality and life. All right, let's keep going. So, so Jesus um, faced this. Jesus himself was a man like we are, tempted every way like we are, yet without sin. Let me ask you this. Could Jesus have sinned? I'm just, it's a question that makes a lot of people nervous. Could Jesus have sinned? Why? Because he was actually a human. I've got another question, but I'm going to keep going because that opens a can of worms. All right, so we know that Jesus wasn't just pretending to be a human. He actually became human to set humans free from sin and death. A human had to do it, all right? So in, in his humanity, he experienced this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, a lot of things that you see in the life of Jesus, let me ask you this. Can you suffer on the cross yourself for your sin? No. Jesus had to do that because he was the spotless lamb that was qualified to take the punishment. So there's a lot of things that Jesus went through that for you that you cannot go through on your own because the, the reason I make that point is people will say, well, God will put you in a situation to be tempted because after all, Jesus went through it. So if Jesus went through it, so do you have to. Well, that's why I asked the question, well, can you hang on a cross and die for your own sin or for somebody else's sin? No, there's a lot of things that God did in the life of Jesus that are for you that you don't have to go through. I think this is one of them. God put Jesus himself in a situation to be tempted of the enemy to once and for all break the power of the enemy and show humanity this is how you do it. Amen? Amen. So... You don't have to worry about, because, because he says in, in uh, James 1.13, when you're tempted, don't say it's from God. God can't be tempted, neither does he tempt any man. There's a lot of things that God did in the life of Christ that you aren't going to have to go through, because Jesus went through it for you. Now, you might still be tempted, um, again, right? right? I mean, the, the enemy is an illegal perpetrator. He's going to try to come, but it's not God doing it to you, and it's not the enemy having the right to you because you've made a mistake. I don't care how bad you mess up. You always have the right to stand in your authority in Christ and tell the enemy, leave me alone. And he'll leave. Watch, this is how he leaves. Verse 2. Now, let me just say this. There's just so much. There really is just so much because it's not, you know, even though we are talking about spiritual matters and we're talking about knowing the enemy and we're talking about demonic stuff and, 
how, how the enemy works. I, I want you to know what it looks like in real life. So this, this idea here, here of casting down uh, arguments, another translation says vain imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, how do you cast them down? You deal with your thoughts. Spiritual warfare happens in the mind. You deal with your thought life. You're not even necessarily trying to fight the enemy in your thoughts. You're dealing and wrestling with your own thoughts. What is a vain imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in your own life? What does that look like practically? That looks like this sin habit. I'm just never, it's just who I am. I was just born this way. My parents had it. My grandparents had it. My fifth grandparent was, a, was in a secret society and committed all these blood rituals, and therefore there's just a curse on my family. Now, that's kind of just the extreme of it, but we adopt these identities. The vain imagination is this. You have an opportunity to succeed in life, or you, you're dealing with a particular situation in your life. The vain imagination is, yeah, you just go ahead and need to accept that because you're never going to change. You're never going to be able to break free from this sin habit that you continually repeat. It's just always going to be there. You've tried. After all, if God wanted you free from it, then he would set you free from it, wouldn't he? See, then that Luciferian kind of lie comes in and starts questioning the power and the capacity of God in your life. You know, you're just, you're just the depressed person. You probably should take some medication. I'm not against medication. Medication can be a gift from God. But the dependency on something other than the Spirit of God long-term usurps the capacity to you, for you to have the freedom that Christ gave to you in Him. Even if that means you need a physiological, neurological healing, you don't have to depend on that stuff. If you need it, use it with no condemnation. But realize there's peace for you. This, the vain imagination says, well, you know, you keep messing up. You keep, you keep on and you might not make it into heaven. That's a vain imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God because the knowledge of God is all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the knowledge of God. Anything contrary to that is a vain imagination designed to keep you in fear, designed to keep you feeling guilty and shameful so that you don't follow God and step out into the power that He wants you to step out into to represent Him. The vain imaginations that you deal with are identity-based, areas where you're struggling with either your behaviors or just who you think that you are or maybe the condition of your life. You're just kind of looking around. It's, well, I don't know. I just, I just keep this. This keeps happening or I keep doing this and I don't know why I keep doing this. Maybe I'm just cursed and I'm just going to have to stick with it. I'm, I just can't get free from it. I just, it's just who I am. That is a vain imagination. That is what you have to pull down. And you pull it down and replace it with the truth of what Jesus has done for you in that area and then who you are as a result of what he did. Are you with me? Amen. No, I am holy because the blood of Christ has washed me. Now, I might not be living that way, but that's who I am. And if I can put it on in my mind and understand Jesus paid for it, it's the blood of Christ I'm holy and cleansed because of the blood of Christ. That is a reality. Now, if you can't take the word and change your inner state, you need to learn how to. <laughs> I mean, you just do. You just got to sit with the word long enough until it changes how you feel about yourself. Because how you feel inwardly is going to determine what you let God continue to do in you. That transformation process has everything to do with your confidence in Him, in you. And so what the enemy's trying to do is rob your confidence. You're, you're already robbing your own confidence and, and, and assuming that, that, that that's your identity. Don't let another outside external thought... And see, we get so freaked out. It's like, oh, is that the devil? Is that me? Am I, am I, am I being tormented by the devil? We, maybe. Maybe, maybe. There might be one sitting right next to you with its arm around you right now. Probably not because they can't come in this place. I'm here. I know who I am in Christ. Well, who do you think you are? Well, I'm a child of God. 
I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm delivered already with Christ in me. Are you kidding me? That's the mindset. That's the attitude. Not because of me. I'm an idiot. <laughs> but Christ in me is the king of kings. Now, but I got to deal with the idiot. <laughs> you don't get to stay an idiot. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. That is the understatement of the century. Verse 3, Matthew 4, verse 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. That, doesn't that sound familiar? See, God, the serpent in the garden, which people keep asking about this one, by the way, too. Uh, you know, so that the, the, if we stick to the Enochian historical record, the 200 watchers that then their offspring became demons didn't come until well after the fall in the garden. So what is the serpent that comes? Who is the tempter or the serpent that comes? It's either a, some kind of creature that existed in the garden that rebelled against God or... It is influenced by some type of spirit that rebelled against God before the Enochian Day Rebellion. All right, so there were probably several falls before mankind was created, or in the perfect garden, there was some type of angelic rebellion and fall. That's probably Lucifer's rebellion. Then there's the fall in the garden. Then there's the Enochian period, fall, of the. that's where the Nephilim came in. And then it even says, and after the flood, there was another uh, type of fall yeah, that, that led to Babel and all that and the giants that we see in, the, in Canaan. So is the tempter Lucifer? I don't know. We do, we do know that there are all kinds of spirits involved in what's going on. Lucifer, that, that fallen angel that we uh, typically know as Satan, gets a lot of credit for a lot of stuff. But I just don't think he's that bad of a dude. I, I think he's, you know, we just misread. Anyway, side note, because people ask about it. So, but, but the tempter, the enemy, uh, the one contrary to affirming the truth of God says, if you are the Son of God. Remember, this is immediately after Jesus was baptized. I'm jumping around, but I am tying it back together, aren't I? Like, are you with me? Like, now we're back to John the Baptist and recognizing Jesus in the womb. Later on, John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. At that moment, Jesus comes up out of the water, and the Spirit of God says what? This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. There's two radical statements there recognizing that this is my son, and I'm pleased with him. You mean God can be pleased with humanity? That was not seen before. Uh, so what's the first thing that the enemy does? He questions. The enemy's watching. He's sitting there watching. You know, he, he probably knows who, that Jesus is coming. I mean, he, he knows he's got a clue. They've been paying attention, and, and he hears that. Oh, my goodness, God has made the declaration, this is the guy, let's kill him. This is the one. If we can kill him, then we can finally take over. That cuts off. This is what they tried to do in the, in the flood, before the flood. They were trying to pervert and corrupt the genetics of humanity so that there were no more humans that could be the emissary or the Messiah. They recognize now, oh, my goodness, here's the Messiah. This is the one. God has declared from the heavens, this is the Messiah. Let's get him. And what does he do? The first thing that he does is he questions, he tries to get him to question his identity. Did God really say? Did God really mean? I mean, can you believe that guy calling you his son? Really? Did he really say that? Did he really mean that? Did he really mean that? I hope that you're connecting this to some of the thoughts that you have because that's what's going to happen. Are you actually really righteous? 
Am I actually already delivered? Does God actually give me the power to get wealth? Does God really want me to, to bless me so that I can be a blessing? Can I really go lay hands on the sick and they will recover? Can I, did God really say that I could have peace? That's where we deal with it on. But it's always the tactic of the enemy. It's always going to attack the word and your identity. Did God really say? So if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So he tries to get him into performance. Do something to prove your identity. I mean, you'd think that the Reformed folks have never read this passage because what they try to do is get you to prove that you're saved by your performance. Oh, yeah, salvation is by grace through faith. However, if you really are saved, then you won't be doing that sin because that's the one that tells me that you're not saved. Well, what about your sin, Mr. Reformed man? Oh, no, 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 not my sin, no. My sin is fine. I don't have to question my salvation about my sin. Really, all those people question their salvation. They don't even know if they're saved. They have no confidence. If they do, it's contradictory. I'm, I'm jabbing it a little bit because I think it's a doctrine of demons. Because prove your identity by your performance. That's what he's doing. But he answered, he said, no, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And there really is just so much in all this, but I'm going to stick to the, the main narrative. Then the devil took him into the holy city. Now, did he actually take him into the holy city? Where was Jesus? Where did all this happen? In the desert, in the wilderness. Did Jesus translate to the holy city? Could have. What I think is actually happening here is more of a... Uh, a, hallucin a hallucination. He's presenting an idea that Jesus sees and has to deal with, right? Don't, don't, don't get mad at me, but look at it. The devil took him into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are... Now, Jesus didn't say, how did we get here? What did you just do? He didn't say, no, we're not, we're not really at the pinnacle of the temple, right? He was in it. He was dealing with it. He was facing the temptation. He was, he, was, he, was in the, he was in the moment with whatever was happening here. Doesn't mean he wasn't God. It's just that he, this was a real battle for him. Whether he actually went there or the enemy was in this beginning stages of this hypnotic suggestion to him, Jesus responded in this way. He says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He engaged him where he was. He fought this battle. So my point in saying that is, if you find yourself recognizing that you're struggling with a deception, don't judge yourself over that. Don't, don't, don't get this foreboding sense of darkness in your life because you have believed something that the enemy has thrown your way. Just recognize at any moment, I can put up the standard of the word. I can stand in my authority. Jesus faced it too, and he conquered it. All right. Again, the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Now, what is it that the Messiah was going to do? He was going to be the object of worship in the temple, right? He was going to be ascended forever to sit on the throne of David, which was associated with the temple. So what the enemy was doing was presenting to Jesus shortcuts to what he knew were his. What he knew God had promised to him the enemy is trying to present shortcuts for him to experience, right? So the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Jesus knew because it had been quoted all through the Psalms that the Messiah, the one seated on the throne of David, would rule and reign. The earth would be made his footstool, right? And he said to him, all these things I'll give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, away with you, Satan. Say, away with you away with you. Do this. Away with you. 
shoe, shoe fly. <laughs> honestly, honestly, there is more power in your pinky than the devil in your life. If you know the word and you know who you are, and one more piece in that puzzle that we're going to get to, and we'll have a magic cookie of shoe fly. There's a, <laughs> it's a recipe of three. You, you want the third one? Almost there. So he says, for it's written, shall wor- you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. Say, left him. Right. And behold, check this out. Well, that's what behold means to me. <laughs> you got to see this. Angels came and ministered to him. You're not just left alone. God is there to help you. So this is where we are. Ephesians 4, 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. And there's just so much to go into it. Maybe next week this will be the last message in this series and we really go into dealing with the futility of our minds. But having their understanding being dark and being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with with greediness. So he's describing, look, you're no longer like the Gentiles, and this is how they think. And there's a lot of clues in there into are we thinking this way. He says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. So in other words, the word of God, again, establishing the Word of God. You will not give in to the futility of your mind. You will not have to deal with a hardened heart toward God if you have heard Him. Have you heard Him? Well, keep hearing Him. How do you hear Him? How do you hear God? Read the Word. Now, again, I'm going to give you a list of things to do, but it's not about the doing as much as it is what happens in the doing. It's what's going on in your heart, right? Read the Word. If you are not regularly reading the Word of God, what are you doing? I mean, honestly, it's like not drinking water. You're going to die. You're going to experience some kind of death. You're not going to be functioning as optimally as you can. Get the Word in there. It is life to you. It is power. It is strength. It is wisdom. It is knowledge. And it's not just the reading of it, it's the experiencing of it. Amen? Get it in there. Uh, As the truth is in Jesus. So filter everything that you believe through Jesus. Now, this is where we're going. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man. Say, put on the new man. Which was, which was created, according to God, in true righteousness and holiness. So, put off the old, put on the new. And we're talking about in your mind. Because in your spirit, you already are new. So when you put off the old, what you're doing is, is you're letting go of deceptions and lies and imaginations that exalt themselves, that contradict who you already are in your spirit. You already are delivered. If you're struggling with a repetitive sin habit that you feel like a demonic entity might be associated with it, it's a lie that you don't have to continue to live. Put it off in your mind. Do not let yourself adopt the identity of that behavior and struggle, fight to get yourself to believe and be persuaded of, no, I am already delivered in Christ. The enemy has no place within me. I don't have to engage in this behavior. This behavior is not who I am. I can be free from this thing. And I am free because Christ lives in me. And Christ is giving me power right now. So I'm going to sit and I'm going to expect to be empowered and strengthened in this moment so that nothing in this world can come against me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? I mean, really, if God's for me, who can be against me? So then you you just follow the Spirit through that putting on process. That's the struggle. That's the warfare in your mind. 
dealing with those vain imaginations that exalt themselves against who you really are in Christ and who Christ is in you. That's the battle. What tool are you going to use to continue to put on the new man? Is it worship for you? Is it watching more teachings and sermons? Is it finding a meditation that walks you? Is it writing, crafting your own prayer of identity? You know, I've got a couple of books back there I'll give you that help you walk through and put on the new man of your identity. This is the process. This is the struggle. Um, and there's another facet. I promised you another facet. Two more passages. I want to talk about the idea of um, a clear conscience. Your conscience knows right from wrong. Why? Because you got a new, if you're a believer, if, you've, if, Christ, if you said yes to Christ, you have a new heart in you, and you have a conscience in you that is in, li- in alignment with the standards, laws, statutes, and ordinances of God. Not so that if you keep them, you'll be righteous, but because you are righteous, now God will lead you in such a way to live in such a way that brings optimal experience of this life. That, that keeps you open to experience His blessings. I'm not saying that you get blessed if you perform properly, but if you walk in Him the way that He would lead you, you will walk into the blessings that He has for you. If you live according to the ways that He leads you, you will experience the things that He wants for you. Are you with me? But if you're full of that guilt and shame and condemnation, if you're full of this, these old ways of thinking or the lewdness or the stuff that hardens your heart, you're going to limit yourself from experiencing what God has already given you. How do you experience what He's given you? Know the Word, know your identity, and have a clear conscience. How do you have a clear conscience? Let's read a couple of things just to shed a little bit of light on this conscience issue. Hebrews 9, 14. I love Hebrews because what it does is it resets the idea of Jesus as our high priest of a new covenant, that that covenant is secured in his blood and we are safe in that covenant because of what he's done. Like Chris was saying this morning, God has a covenant with Jesus. And if you're in Jesus, you are in the covenant. God doesn't have a covenant with you. You don't have to hold up. You can't hold up your end of that covenant, but Jesus can, and, and you're in Him. So you got to get rid of every thought and belief and behavior that keeps you from living in the way that reflects who you are in that covenant. That means you got to deal with sin patterns. you got to deal with doubt, fear, and unbelief, not to qualify, but to reflect who you truly are. Are you with me? So how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So, a clear conscience from dead works serves the living God, right? Uh, What keeps you from serving God is a burdened conscience. What burdens your conscience? Maybe you easily fly off the handle, or maybe it's more obvious in whatever the, whatever the behavior or belief or cycle it is. If I were to ask you, you probably already know what, you're, what you struggle with the most. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. If you know that the blood of Christ has already been shed for the guilt of that behavior, what that does is it can put you in a place where you can let go of the guilt for that behavior so that you can adopt this clear conscience, what Christ has gone through for you, and live in the power of Him in you. This is one of those spiritual concepts that's hard to explain, but, but I, just, I pray that there's revelation in that moment. If you know that God has already judged Christ for your sin, and you know that He's not going to judge you, that frees you of the, from the, the weight of fear. And it opens the door for you to be able to then honestly be, allow His blood to cleanse your conscience. Now, part of your conscience being cleansed is repentance. 
What is repentance? It's to change your mind, turn and go another way. Repentance is not when you convince God how sorry you are and then He chooses to forgive you. He's already forgiven you in Christ. Repentance is when you go to Him and you just open your heart to Him. You're honest with Him. You do confess that sin, not to get forgiveness, but to continually be cleansed of that guilt and that shame. What is driving your repetitive sin habits is the guilt you experience from it. It's like you're vexed. You're doomed to repeat it if you carry around the guilt and the shame. You've got to recognize that you are guilt-free and shame-free and sit within that long enough that it then overrides the natural senses that drive behavior. The cleansed conscience is incredibly powerful. One more passage on this. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh, and having a, pre, and having a, pre, a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart or pure heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil or guilty conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So, what we're talking about is know the Word, trusting in God's goodness. In other words, God did really say, I want all these things for you. Know your identity and your authority in Him, and keep a clear conscience. Now, a little bit more on the clear conscience issue. If you... I have some good questions, but let me just tell you, don't raise your hand. How many of you have a some type of habit in your life that keeps you from experiencing God? Now, in other words, what I mean is whatever it is, whether it be a belief or a thought or a way of life or a speech or a behavior or whatever, a doubt, a fear, a, a, a limiting, whatever it is, and whenever you're dealing with it, you're not experiencing God. How many of you have one of those? Don't raise your hand. So what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about that? Because it's keeping you from experiencing... Again, this is not just so that you can get stuff from God. It's bigger than that. The the goal that I'm trying to get to is not so that you got a bunch of money and you're happy. The goal that I'm trying to get you to is that you have no more distractions in your life keeping you bound to life that keep you from representing God in this earth. So because that's what God wants for His family. God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing. What God wants is a nation, a holy nation of priests, that those priests go throughout the earth and minister to the people of the earth to bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ, to to declare the victory of Christ, to announce the good news of the kingdom of God, that there is a way to be in unity with God. There is a way to be in the family of God that is not based on your performance. Behold the Son of God, the Lamb, who was sacrificed for you. You come through Him. You have all of that stuff washed away so that, yes, you can enjoy the benefits of being in that kingdom, in that family. Of course, beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Of course, but that's small potatoes are what God's really trying to do in your life. He's trying to get you to a place where when you step out of your bed, you are so thankful toward Him that you have the gift of life that you go out into the world and you represent the values of the kingdom. Mercy, peace, love, joy, patience, all of that stuff. And as His believers go into the world and create and facilitate the environment that matches the kingdom, people will then look and say, well, there's something... Look how they love each other. I don't... don't, you follow Je- I can tell you follow Jesus because of the love that you, the, the kind of love that you walk in. I don't know, I don't know about that Bible thing, but I can tell you follow Jesus because of how you love people. That's step number one. And then our unity toward the world, because we're not burdened and we're guilt-free and we're blessed, then we be a blessing toward the world. 
physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, all the areas of life that matter. We get to be a blessing to people because we're not walking around with a heavy conscience full of guilt and shame and fear because of our behaviors and our lifestyles. Deal with your stuff. Repent from your sin. Let it go. Stop it. It's killing you. Amen? Also, believe the truth of who God is because it is your responsibility to have faith in who God is and what He's trying to do in your life so that you inherit the promises because He gets glory when you inherit the promises so that you can represent Him and be a blessing on this earth. You can walk around and, you're, and you go wherever you might go. There's a boldness that rises up that's not hindered by shame and guilt and a guilty conscience. And you miss the opportunity to represent the kingdom in that place. I mean, what is, it, what is it that's burdening your conscience that keeps you from representing Him? Deal with it. Please deal with it. Are, do you, are, you, are you hearing me? And you can deal with it because you know He's already dealt with it toward you in Christ. A clear conscience is incredibly valuable. So I want you to think about that. I want you to focus on that especially through these holidays. You're getting ready to be around some people. Watch your mouth. I'm talking to me too. Watch your mouth. Because you don't want to say something and you walk, oh, I don't want to say that. Why did I do that? That's my goal, is to come out of the holidays with a clear conscience. (laughs) And that's my daily goal, is I want to hit the bed with a clear conscience which means a lot of things. It means I have lived a repentant lifestyle. It means I have lived a lifestyle of being in faith toward God. That throughout the day when I have these vain imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God in my life and my identity, I deal with them. I wrestle with them. I take the time to renew my mind of who I am in Him because that will produce transformation. And as I am transformed, I will represent Him. That it, what, here's what God wants. God wants a nation of people, a kingdom of people that are experiencing His, bless, His blessings, that are a blessing to the earth. It's simple. God wants His family to be healthy so that they show the rest of the world how great it is to be in His family and they want to be in His family. That's His bottom line. From the beginning to the end, that's what he's been trying to do. Find some people that will let him live with them and among them and clean them up and transform them so they'll go into the rest of the world and announce the good news of this kingdom. We are kingdom bullhorns to go into the earth and announce the good news of this kingdom. Amen? Amen. Clear conscience. Is God speaking to you about that? Think about that. What is it that hardens your heart toward God because you're carrying around guilt and shame because of your conscience? A clear conscience will put you in a position to stand firm in the Word. There's boldness that comes out of a clear conscience. There's clarity of vision for the future that comes out of it. It's one of the hardest things to deal with, but you got to know that you're free in Him and then deal with whatever is searing your conscience toward God. Amen? Let's stand up. Jesus, we thank you so much for going through everything that you went through just to be able to offer us the free gift of salvation in you. And if you're watching today, you're in this room, you've never said yes to Jesus or you're not sure, it's very simple. You can just look to him and in your heart say, Jesus, I believe that what you did was for me. I accept you as my righteousness in this moment. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for putting your spirit within me now. Thank you that I will yield. I I commit to yield to you to let you transform and lead me. Amen and amen. You know, and if you're watching online and you made that quick prayer, go on our website, scroll down and find uh, there's a little icon that says Jesus on it. Go read that. And if you're in this room, um, somebody, Bob will be up front today and we've got some new believer packets back here to give you. And 
deal with your conscience. And, and you wanted to pray for us. Well, you kind of already said uh, what I was going to say, but just reminding you guys, we are going into the holidays, lots of holidays, lots of time with family. And I just want to remind you guys, like God created us for relationships. He created us with love. And when he sees us, what does he see? Family. Yeah, he sees family. He doesn't see the junk. He doesn't see the attitude. He doesn't see the offenses, the judgments. Um, you know, he doesn't see the things that we did wrong, the things that we said wrong, the hurtful things. He sees love. He sees Jesus in us. So I want to remind you guys, why you're going to family, pray before you go, first of all, especially if there's, you know, sticky situations or, you know, you don't have the ooey gooey feelings of love for all your family that you're going to be around, pray, you know, ask God to highlight why you're thankful for those family members, why you're thankful for those relationships, and just pray for him to help you, you know, find joy in the situations, and, you know, just make light of it. Bring a game. Bring something fun to do. Bring, you know, just bring your thankfulness to your get-togethers. Amen. Amen. Thank you.